All right, may you please open your Bible so long to the book of Romans, chapter 1. And as you find that text, let me give you a couple of thank yous. First of all, Duke and Donna, I'm not quite sure where you sit during the services, but wherever you are, thank you for opening your home. The very warm hospitality has been great to get to know you. And church, I, I only have one word to describe what it's been like to be with you for this missions conference, and that is overwhelming. I don't know why there was a part of me after, because it's been about 10 years, more than 10 years since our last furlough, kind of expected to come back to America and see things kind of struggling and to see churches getting tired and waning a bit, growing lukewarm. I got back here and you guys are doing better than ever. You have helped me this week and I really do appreciate that. Romans chapter 1, I'd like to preach to you this morning a sermon called, I am ready I am ready. I want to show you a few verses as we get into this. Let's begin at verse number one. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. I only point that out so that you can see Paul's emphasis here. He's trying to show his connection, his aim, his goal in life. He has set himself aside. God has called him to getting the gospel out. Come down to verse five by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Not just preaching the gospel local, Paul understands the big picture. Let's get the gospel to all nations. Come on down to verse number nine. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. I love the way Paul has worded this. I serve him with my spirit. This isn't to say that the Holy Spirit is not a massive part of what he's doing. We know that, right? Paul's saying, my heart's in it. I want to be a part of this. I'm doing it with everything within me. I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Every missionary has to pray about traveling. Amen. Paul is no exception. God, let me have a safe trip here, there, and everywhere. Verse 11, he says, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. I want to show up and help you. And by seeing the spiritual condition that you're in and the willingness that you have to receive the word of God, you are then going to be helping me. I'm going to show up 10 years later after being in Africa where it's a bit tough sometimes to get the word out and see people in a church that sing out with all their heart and pray and love missions. And man, that, that comforts me. Verse 13, now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, I was hindered that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. In this verse, I love how Paul says, I purposed to come. He's going to do it on purpose. Don't serve the Lord accidentally. 
Don't just wait for these opportunities to accidentally happen to you. Go looking for a way to get the gospel into somebody's hand and into their heart. Make plans to do it. In verse 14, he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Because we know there's only two kinds of people in the world. Those who are Greek and everybody else who wants to be Greek. <laughs> I know now who's watched that movie, by the way. <laughs> but the Greek, that was the civilized man of that time, right? And barbarian was just non-Greek. Paul says, I'm debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So educated, uneducated. Civilized, uncivilized, doesn't matter what the culture is, doesn't matter the language, the skin color, doesn't matter, matter the social status, the financial status, the education level. I want to tell everybody what Jesus did for them and how he can change their life. Verse 15, he says, so as much as in me is, what a great statement, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He's writing to the church, mind you. But Paul, he, you can hear it in how he's wording this. He has this itch deep down in his soul. He wants to get to Rome and see what the gospel will do there. Not just visit the church, but let's go find some lost people and share with them how Jesus can change their life, turn it upside down. And he says in this verse in 16, I am not ashamed, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm going to focus my attention this morning on that one phrase from verse number 15, I am ready to preach the gospel. Would you please join me in a word of prayer? Father, we pause just for a moment to recognize our need for you to come down and speak to our hearts. Lord, I want to be led by your spirit as I say what, what you've prepared in my heart this week for, for this moment. I need your help, God, I know that, but also the people listening prepare their hearts and their ears. Lord, let us walk away from this better than we came. Prepare us, God, to take this gospel to everybody we can. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago in Malawi, we, uh, just shortly after I learned the language and became fluent with it, we went to a local, I say local, the main office was in our, in our town, but it was a nationwide radio program we had an opportunity to, to put together. And I got to preach on the radio for several months in Chichewa. And uh, I wanted to get a nice catchy title for the radio program. So there's a verse in the Bible in Chichewa. We say, Mau opula mchipululu. Which if you say it just like that, it's already fun to say chipululu. That's just a fun word. But I asked one of my pastors to do the introduction. So he came down to the recording studio. And all I asked him to say was, listen, Paul, would you just, his name was Paul. I said, would you... The words of John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, would you just read this to introduce the program? You are now listening to a voice crying in the wilderness. That was it. So, Mukumvela, you are listening. I don't know what got into him. He saw it as his one big chance because the whole nation of Malawi is going to hear this. He said, Abale 
Mukumvela, Mao, Opula, Mchipululu. Have you been watching Star Trek or something? <laughs> so everywhere I went after that, people would say, Ah, you, you, you are Chipululu man. <laughs> yes, I'm Chipululu man. Thank you. <laughs> You're familiar with the phrase where they went to John the Baptist and they asked him, Are you the Christ? Are, are you that prophet? Are you Elijah? You remember the answer. No, I'm, I'm not those things. Who are you then? What are you then? And this definitional statement came across. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. You know what John's saying? I'm just ready to preach. I know what God's called me to do. I'm not the main center of attention. I'm not the focus here. I'm here to point people to the Lamb of God. Hey, behold, check this out. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and that's the function of every born-again child of God. If you are a new creature in Christ, you have been given the word and the ministry of reconciliation. You are an ambassador. We have been sent in Christ's stead. We beseech you, come to God through Christ. We are simply voices crying in the wilderness. My question this morning is, are you ready to fulfill that calling? Paul, in no uncertain terms, you can see the definitional statement he's making here. Look at verse 14. I am debtor. Verse 15, I am ready. Verse 16, I am not ashamed. He knows what he's about. I serve God with my spirit and the gospel of his son. I'm separated unto the gospel of God. When Paul says, I am ready, I think there's three things he's telling us about himself. And let's look quickly at those three things. Number one, I'm ready to preach the gospel. That tells me something about his attitude, his attitude towards the gospel. He, he's ready, he's eager. He's chomping at the bit. He's making plans. We saw it in verse 13. That, that means he's, it's a premeditated act. He's going out looking for opportunities and people to preach the gospel to. Can I ask you just to hold your place here? Maybe about a dozen pages to the right. 1 Corinthians 9. I want to expound a little more on Paul's attitude towards the gospel. Let's see if our attitude is something similar. 1 Corinthians 9. I am ready. I don't know about you gentlemen in the room. Do you maybe share this problem with me? Whenever it's time to leave the house, get in the car, and go somewhere with my family, I'm ready. I mean, it's a simple process, right? It's time to go. I'm ready. Let's go. You know what I do? I get in the car, start the car, pull it out. We have a lot of security gates and stuff. I go out the gate. I'm waiting in the road. In South Africa, we say, Hooting the hooter. I think you guys would say blowing the horn or something like that. I'm out there. What? Honey, you knew we were leaving at this time, right? Some people just take a little longer to get ready. Is that an American thing too? Ooh, ooh. I, saw, I struck a chord. I saw a couple elbows do like that. Okay, never mind. I'll let you sort that at home later. I don't get it. When we get to the destination, if we're going to the mall or the store, whatever it is, when we get there, listen, we're there. Get out of the car. <laughs> right? 
How can it take you three minutes to get out of that? You knew we were getting there. You saw the store approaching. We're in the car park. What else do we want to do? Do we need to pray about it before we get out of the car? What do we get out the car? I'm already to the door of the shop and they're just now, the ladies are just now getting out of the car, shutting the door. What did you need to grab? I don't get it. They evidently are just not as eager to get to that place as I am. Now, maybe I'm just a little overzealous. Maybe I wanted to go on that trip too much. Whatever it is, I'm ready. I'm ready. Some people take a little longer to get ready. How much longer is it going to take you before you can walk away and go, wow, I'm ready to preach the gospel? Man, I got this message just burning inside like fire in my bones. Just get me a lost man. I, I, got, I got a message for him. 1 Corinthians 9, look at Paul's attitude here, verse 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. What does he mean? I have a responsibility given me from the Lord. It is a commission. Does that word ring a bell? A commission, a great commission. I have to do it. I'm not going to brag about it. I'm not going to pat myself on the back, go, hey, look at this great sacrifice that I'm making. I was commanded to do it. And then he says at the end of verse 16, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. To say woe is unto me, that means like I'm miserable, misery unto me. I'll be miserable if I don't get to share the gospel with somebody. I wonder if that explains why some Christians get a bit grumpy from time to time. Verse 17, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. I have a commission to dispense the gospel. Notice Paul's two options. He gives himself two choices here. Number one, I'm going to preach the gospel willingly. Number two, I'm going to do it against my will. Either way, I'm preaching the gospel. You know, it'd be great if every child of God would just determine in their heart this morning, purpose in their heart, I don't care if I'm in season, out of season, having a good day or a bad day, God, I'm ready to preach even if I don't feel like it. The decision I'm making today, I am just going to be that voice crying in whatever wilderness you put me in, God. I'm going to be ready to preach. That's the attitude. I'm going to preach the gospel no matter what. Back in Romans chapter 1, what do you think led to this eagerness, this attitude that Paul had made him so excited about preaching the gospel? Verse 14, I think, speaks to this. He says, I am debtor. I owe a debt. Now, notice the way he words it. I'm debtor to the Greek, barbarian, wise, unwise. What did they ever do for him? What did they ever add to his life of any eternal value? Well, nothing. It's not as if he actually owed them the debt directly. What do we sing? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We, we owe it all to him, don't we? He's the one that purchased us with his blood. I owe him the debt, but how do I pay him back? How do I ever repay that debt? Jesus does not ask. 
that I go through the same pain and suffering that he went through in order to pay him back? How do I show my appreciation to him? Well, this is something that a lot of missionaries get used to. We try to show our appreciation. We stand up. We say thank you. We try to send out thank you cards. And, and if I can, if I find out that there's something you like, some little trinket, some little gift, I, I'll go out of my way to get that just to show you that, hey, I, I know you a, a little bit. Here's something to say. I appreciate you. Thank you for what you did for me. What do you think Jesus wants? Do you know anything that would really thrill his heart? Do you know anything that would put a real, real big smile on his face? He did say that when one sinner repents, there's joy in heaven. I bet that would thrill his soul. That would be the best way, and I think that's what Paul determined as well, the best way to pay him back for what he's done for me, the difference he's made in my life, is to go tell everybody else how they can meet God through Christ. That's how I'm going to repay that debt. And that, I think, was a large factor in Paul's motivation for being ready to preach the gospel. Look at what he's done for me. How can I not say something to someone else? I know you're familiar with the story in Genesis chapter 40. Joseph is in prison. The butler and the baker of Pharaoh are also thrown in prison. They have dreams both in one night. Joseph finds out about these dreams and he says, well, tell me your dreams and God will give the interpretation. Let me see if I can help you out. I'll just pray about it for you. And you remember the story, right? The, the butler says, well, here's what the dream was. And he explains it to him. And Joseph says, wow, well, praise God, you're going to like this. In three days, you're going to be released. You're going to be put back into your position. The king's cut bare and things are going to turn out really good for you. Can you imagine the relief in that butler's soul? Man, that's good news. I'm not facing destruction. Everything's going to turn out right. It's going to take three days, but after three days, it's going to be okay. You know what Joseph said to him? He said, but think on me when it shall be well with thee. And show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. And make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. Joseph, how can I repay you for giving me some hope and some peace in the time of my bondage at the lowest point of my life. I've been thrown in prison. I didn't know if I was going to make it out of here. And then God used you. Wow, Joseph, thank you so much for what you've done. How can I ever repay you? It's not as if the butler can one day interpret one of Joseph's dreams in return. <laughs> Joseph had one request. Do me a favor. When you get out of here, when you are released from your bondage, just mention me to someone else. That's all I ask. Just talk about me to someone else. And I think this is one of the more sadder verses in the Bible. At the end of that chapter, I'm sure you're familiar with how it ends. The butler gets out and says, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. How does that slip your mind? Church, do you remember how long it slipped his mind? For two years, that butler forgot to mention Joseph. Might I ask you a question? How long has it been since you've mentioned Christ to someone else? In Romans chapter 1, let's talk about another thing here. When he says in verse 15, I'm ready to preach the gospel, I believe that speaks not only to his attitude, but to his aptitude. His aptitude. 
When I say aptitude, this is his natural tendency, his ability. He is prepared. You might say it like that. He's ready to preach because he's prepared. He knows how to do it. He knows what to say. I love that phrase in verse 15, as much as in me is. With all the abilities that God has given me, I am ready to preach the gospel. Now, Paul, he was an intelligent man just by natural standards, right? He was an educated man. We know from the book of 1 Corinthians, he spoke multiple languages, right? I'm glad I speak in tongues more than you all. That has nothing to do with habada, shabada, shabada, nothing to do with that. It has to do with speaking multiple languages, which, man, if you're a missionary, you pray for that kind of a gift. And he had it. Not everybody is that prepared, Right? They don't come naturally prepared for these kind of things. But listen, even if you don't have that natural tendency or that aptitude, you can get prepared. You can learn how to explain the gospel to someone else. So even if it's not your natural go-to thing, maybe you're not an outgoing person, you might have to learn other methods of communicating the gospel. The method can change hundreds of times. Change the method. Use whatever method you want. The message never changes. Paul, when he says, I am ready, I think this also speaks not just to that eagerness and that desire, but to his preparedness. Moses, when God called him, he wasn't exactly ready for that calling, was he? You know that he gave excuses, and the last one was, I'm not eloquent. God, I don't talk so good. Moses was well-educated, right? Book of Acts, he, he, he grew up in a good school, let's say a good school by Egyptian standards, educated, but he wasn't eloquent. Anybody got that problem where you, you understand the subject, but you can't get the thought out of here, from your brain out of your mouth? And sometimes it takes a little work. But God told Moses, now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach you what you should say, Right? If you put a little effort into it, you might learn how to explain and preach the gospel better and better. After my wife and I got saved, every night of the week, we went to the pastor's house. We knock off of work, we go to the pastor's house. Since we were in Texas, we'd eat chicken and gravy. Amen. And then we'd pray, and then we'd fold tracks, and we'd go out witnessing with our pastor every day of the week. Six days a week. On, on Sunday, you're in church all day. Six days a week, every day. Two, three hours a day at least, we we're out witnessing with him. For the first couple of months, I just, I was Brother Freddie's left shoulder. I just watched and listened. I grew up Roman Catholic. I don't think going out to the street and going, in the name of the Father and the Son, that ain't gonna do it. That's all I knew. That ain't, that's not how you do it. I watched him. I listened intently. And after a few months, I said, Brother Freddie, can I have a chance? He said, sure. I started doing it myself and speaking to people. And oh, the joy, what excitement. That's, that's where the good stuff's at. Man, that, you, if you are feeling deadness in your soul, if you feel a bit lukewarm, just get yourself a handful of gospel tracts and go ask somebody, uh, if you died today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? And just take it from there. That'll fire you up. For six months, every day, that's what Christina and I did. Finally, Brother Freddie sat us down. He said, listen, you two, you're newlyweds. We got, we got married. Five days later, he knocked on our door. We ended up in his church and got saved. God saved our souls and our marriage kind of in one big swoop. 
He said, you guys need to go on a date. <laughs> now, listen, amen. He was right. We, we were out of balance. We were. I took her on a date. The next week, I said, okay, Brother, brother Freddie, we'll go on a date. We went on a date. We sat at the restaurant looking at each other. She said, are you bored? I said, yeah. I said, are you bored? She said, yeah. I said, what do you want to do? She said, let's go pass out tracks. <laughs> we did. Now, listen, we were out of balance. So please understand, I'm not saying that the only thing you do from the rest, for the rest of your life is just hand out tracks and preach the gospel. You need to be a loving husband and a good father and all the other stuff that comes with life. I understand that. But I wanted, because of my attitude... I had this eagerness. This led to the aptitude. Well, then teach me how to do it. Show me how to use my opportunities at work to get the gospel to my workmates. Just whatever, whatever advice you can give me. I got a guy in our church. He started coming out with us in, at the age of 72. He's a professor of law at the university for over 40 years. He joined me on the street one day on a Saturday morning, and he said, Pastor... He said, if there's anything you can advise me on, on how to be a better witness for Christ, please do it. Age 72. He came out to the street every Saturday. A few weeks later, we went out to a rough location. They have rolled razor wire protecting the elementary school from the drug dealers. And there's that 72-year-old man kneeling down, praying with those Africans leading them to Christ. You can learn how to do it. You can get ready if you want to get ready. I have a guy in Malawi. This is years ago. His name was Abel Sukali. Brother Abel came to me one time. He said, Pastor, I'm a problem. I said, okay, what's the problem? He said, I want to win a soul. You preach about winning souls. I can't. I can't. I said, what's the problem? He said, I don't know. I am doing it right, but no one will get saved. He said, can you come with me and show me? I said, sure, sure. Now, he'd been trying for about six months. Every week, faithfully, handing out tracts, conversations. It just wasn't happening. It wasn't clicking. So I said, oh, I'll, I'll come out with you, and I'll listen. Silent partner, you know. <laughs> he handed out a tract. He said, eh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, this paper, it talks about Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? And that lost guy said, no. Ah, why not? Are you stupid? <laughs> I said, Abel, I think we found the problem. <laughs> that's, that's not how you do it. <laughs> Bless his heart. I gave him some advice. I said, calm down, man, calm down. You got to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. We went through that, and, and he kept trying. But he just, he didn't see anybody saved. Well, fast forward a couple months, I show up to church. This was in a little place called Chinsapa, which, by the way, you folks should know this part of the story. I will only tell it in this church because you bought the building for $3,000. You bought the entire building and the land, <laughs> Showed up to that church that morning, and there's this guy, visitor, don't know him from anybody, waiting at the church. He'd been waiting there 30 minutes. I got there early, but not that early. 
I unlocked the door, invited him in. We had the church service. That guy came down to the front after the service. He got saved. And I said, sir, can we get to know you a little bit? I said, we're so glad you got saved today. Where do you live? He said, right down the road. I said, how'd you hear about us? He said, I, I received this track. I said, where'd you get that track? He said, the Holy Ghost. <laughs> really? <laughs> Tell me more. He pointed over at Abel Sukali. He said, that man, he was on the streets two weeks ago. And I was watching him. This guy was sitting on his, you guys would call it a porch, on like in his little front porch. And he could see Abel two houses down in front of somebody else's house on the dirt road handing out tracks. And he saw Abel give a track to some by you know, passerby, and he gave him the tract, and the guy said, ah, no, and threw the tract down and just marched off. Abel was so discouraged. This guy was telling me this. He said he looked so heartbroken, Abel walked off and went home. He said, ah, I, I, I can't do this. That lost man, sitting on his porch, looked at that paper, and all of a sudden, the wind started to blow. Picked that tract up, set it in his neighbor's yard, Right now, he's two houses down. Let's put it in his neighbor's yard. And that lost guy's watching that tract. <laughs> the wind blew again. Picked up that track, put it in his yard. Now, when I say yard, the dirt in front of his house. <laughs> and he's looking at it. He's going, ah, this, this paper is chasing me. <laughs> yeah? This paper. Yeah? The wind blew again. Set it at his feet. He picked the tract up, he read it, and he said, Pastor, just from reading that tract, I knew that I needed to be saved. And the church information was on the back. He said, that's why I showed up today. The Holy Ghost gave me this tract. <laughs> so if any of you are a bit shy, just drop a bunch of tracts on a windy day. <laughs> the Lord will take care of the rest. Can I finish on this third point here? Verse 16, he says, for I am not ashamed. So we've learned about the attitude. When he says, I'm ready, that speaks to his attitude. When he says, I'm ready, that also speaks to his aptitude. He's prepared. And whatever you need to do to get prepared, do it. Do it. But then I think by saying, I'm ready, it also speaks to his awareness of just how powerful the gospel is. And we see this clearly in verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is personally aware of what a massive change the gospel can make in anybody's life. Are you aware of that change? Has the Lord Jesus Christ come into your heart and turned your world upside down and, and took you out from stepping out of death into life? Has that happened to you? Because if it has, like it happened to me when I was 20 years old, nothing was ever the same after that day. I am personally aware of how life-changing that decision is. And if you've never made that decision, please, we beg you this morning, and I mean that, we beg you, give us just a few moments to answer any question you have, to explain to you how Jesus can go from outside to inside, not just your heart, but your life and your eternity. Please, I promise you, you will not be ashamed.
Now that phrase, I'm not ashamed, we can take that two ways, I believe. I'm not ashamed in the sense of I'm not embarrassed to mention Christ to other people. I'm not afraid of man's opinion. It is heartbreaking to see how many times, and I'm going to say we because it happens to me too, how many times we buckle to public opinion. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I don't care what people think. I just want them to know Christ. That's part of it, but I believe just like many places in the Bible, it's a two-edged sword. It can say two things at one time. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not worried about man. I, I just want to please God with this, but I am not going to be disappointed by telling you that this can save you. I know this will work. I'm not ashamed of it. I know it won't let me down. It's not like if you try this, you're going to come back and say, can I please exchange it for some other better message? This is going to work. Some years ago, my wife, we had a Malawian gentleman working on our property. and It was his birthday, 47th birthday. The average lifespan in Malawi is 43 so for this man to be 47, you know, he's close to the ancient of days, right? He's, he's up there. My wife said, have you ever had a birthday cake? He said, ah, no, madam, no. So Christina set out and made him this wonderful chocolate cake, gave it to him. He had seven kids. He took it home. They all ate it. He came back the next day, and Christina said, so what do you think of the cake and your family? What did they think of the cake? He said, madam, we saw the glory of God in that cake. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize the trouble I just stirred up. He went and told everybody in the church, ah, do you know this chocolate cake? Ah, this, this Madam Christina, she can make a chocolate cake. Oh, you must tell her it's your birthday. When you taste and see that it's good, you just want to tell someone else. When you become aware of the glory of God in a cake. I'm going to finish off with possibly an unlikely story. Maybe you're familiar with it. In 1832, Charles Darwin set out on his famous voyage in the HMS Beagle going towards the Galapagos Islands. And of course, he was in search of information that would support his theories. He met a group of people called the Fuegians. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's a bit of a strange-looking word, Fuegians. Here's what he had to say when he met them. Darwin wrote in his journal, they were the most abject and miserable creatures I anywhere beheld. These poor wretches were stunted in their growth, their hideous faces bedaubed with white paint, their skins filthy and greasy, their hair entangled, their voices discordant, and their gestures violent. Viewing such men, one can hardly make oneself believe that they are fellow creatures and inhabitants of the same world. Darwin had thought that he found the missing link. Later in his journal, he made mention of that in so many words that I, I believe I found evidence between beast and human. Here they are. Months and even a few years passed. And in the meantime, 
missionaries showed up to the Fuegian people. Word eventually made it back to Darwin as to what was happening on that island. Darwin then wrote this letter. Darwin, not a Christian, not a preacher, not a missionary, Charles Darwin, who died an unbeliever, Charles Darwin wrote a letter to the South American Missionary Society, and he said, I certainly should have predicted that not all the missionaries in the world could have done what has been done. It is most wonderful and shames me, as I always prophesied, utter failure. He said, it is a grand success. I shall feel proud if your committee think fit to elect me an honorary member of your society. Charles Darwin began to send money to the South American Missionary Society and supported missions until the day of his death as an honorary member of a missionary society because he became aware of the power of the gospel of Christ. He saw it take people that were not even recognizable as humans and turn them into a not just civilized, not Americanized, but God-fearing, brother-loving people. And they learned that all through Christ. I hear those kind of stories, and you know what it makes me want to say? And I'm ready. I am ready to preach the gospel. How about you? Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and I'm sure some musicians will make their way to the front. Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a few moments. Paul said, I am ready as much as in me is. I may not be the most gifted. Somebody else might be able to explain it a little better. But man, I got this desire in me. I want to tell you how you can be saved. So as the music plays softly, I want to invite you, friend. Maybe you're here this morning as a visitor. And you're not sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven. If you're not sure... Oh, please, I beg you. Make your way down here. No, listen, we're not looking around. We're not trying to point you out or embarrass you. We want to give you a chance to understand how much God loved you when he sent his son to die and pay for your sins. If you're not sure that you're saved, would you make your way down here? You can just... Come right here near the front. Just get my attention and we'll quietly take you aside and somebody can explain it to you. We won't embarrass you. Let us tell you why we're so excited about it. Let us, let us explain why we're willing to go all over the world. Greeks, barbarians, wise, unwise, doesn't matter. It works for everybody. I know that there are most of you here this morning. You're saved. You know the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning you need to 
do what Paul did and purpose, right? I have purpose to come unto you. Make a plan. This week, I'm going to pray and say, God, give me one. Give me at least one person to talk to and then go looking for him. Maybe this morning, ask God to help you with the attitude, the aptitude, and the awareness of preaching the gospel. You don't need a degree. You don't have to be some sort of expert. Just as much as in you is, preach the gospel. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son. We are honored, Lord, to just step back and be a voice crying in the wilderness. Behold the Lamb of God. Please continue to use this church for that specific interest in helping others to become aware of how much Christ loves them. Thank you for your time and your presence and your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would, 650, we'll sing this song. I love to tell the story. 650. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and I sing a new 
something out of that and uh, I appreciate a message like that I mean God has called numerous people out of our church to go to far-flung places cross-culturally bring the gospel but I don't think he's going to ask everybody here to do that so in the meantime we have our own mission field don't we and uh, I we need we need to stay away from the idea that okay I I put a check in the plate for Faith Promise Mission, so now I don't have to witness. I'm paying that guy to do it. And I think we can all understand how that's a big mistake, and I don't think we'd ever articulate it that way, but our, our actions can sometimes betray that attitude. Uh, I'm glad for a message that just brings it right home, and as soon as we step outside these four walls, we're on the mission field. We're on the mission field. Uh, they're on the mission field, we're on the mission field, and we have something to do. We're active in this, and it's exciting, and, and I agree, there's nothing, like, there's nothing like telling someone about the Lord and having them respond and trust Christ as their Savior. It'll put the bounce in your Christian walk, believe it. So let me challenge you to take this to heart, and uh, I know many came forward. But uh, we got track racks out there in the foyer. Those tracks are all free. Grab a bundle of them. And like he said, if, if, if you really can't do anything more than just leave them laying around in places. I've heard all kinds of stories of people. Uh, one of the guys that was instrumental in me getting saved was on vacation with his parents, sitting in the back seat of the car. They pulled over in a rest stop. He went to the bathroom. There was Jack Chicks, This Was Your Life comic book track sitting there in the bathroom. He picked it up out of curiosity, sat in the back seat of that car for hours. And uh, he said to me, it scared me to death. And that put him in pursuit of learning what it took to escape the judgment of God for his sins. And he got saved. You just don't know. You just don't know. So be an active witness for the Lord. By all means, give. Let's help Let's help these get to those other places where we can't go, but God's called them to go. So some go, some give, and uh, we do it by faith, promise, missions, giving. And as I mentioned after Sunday school this morning, uh, we've been talking about these cards. They're out in the foyer, and it can be done online as well for those of you that are more uh, adapt at the electronic side of things. But uh, we're making a pledge between us and God. This isn't something you sign and we look at it or anything like that. We're not going to chase you down. But by the grace of God, we've been able to give a lot of money to missions. And uh, that's money that goes mostly overseas, some home missions here in the United States. But it, it allows them to get there to those places. And it provides tools for them. So you can hear more stories like that. Amen. And there's so many more, so many more that 
we get to hear a few of them, and it's exciting, but uh, there's so many more. And one of these days when we get to heaven, I guarantee you somebody's going to come up to you that you never met. They didn't even live on the same continent. And there were thousands of miles of deep water between you and them. But because you helped that missionary get there, you had a part in their salvation. They're going to come up and thank you for that. I really believe that with all of my heart. So let me encourage you to get involved. And uh, last year, by God's grace, we were able to give 951000 to missions. And uh, it's just, uh, it's amazing to me. I don't know where it comes from, but uh, that's the miracle of faith promise giving. So if you have what a lot of Americans have, disposable income, and God's laid it on your heart to do something, then take, take some of that disposable income on a monthly basis or weekly basis, however you want to do it, and uh, let's help these guys keep it going over there. Now, if you don't, and you know, at the end of the month, you got a zero with the ring kicked out, uh, well, then pray about it. Uh, Paul said to their power, they were willing to give, and then beyond their power, and that's sort of the miraculous side of it, as I said to you at Sunday school, First time we got involved in Faith Promise Missions, uh, we, were, we were pretty much like that. When at the end of the month, we had a zero with the ring kicked out. But we prayed about it, and the Lord laid an amount on our hearts, and uh, we pledged that to the Lord to give monthly. And uh, within a month, I got a raise uh, for exactly that amount. I remember coming home and saying, honey, we should have pledged more. <laughs> we got a bigger raise. Uh, that particular year, uh, no one else got a raise. It was uh, a tough time in the shop there back in 80, 84, whatever it was, in the welding shop I was working in, the fabrication shop. But I was the newest guy that got hired. And I remember when the boss called me in, I thought, oh, boy, you know, uh, last one on, first one off, I thought. And uh, God provided for us. So uh, see what the Lord would have you to do. We are taking up a love offering for these missionaries. I affectionately call it mad money. And uh, it's money they can do whatever they want with. You know, they get support money to get to the field. They get project money so they can build church buildings, buy tracks, and pass them out. But uh, how many of you understand that uh, missionaries have teeth and sometimes those go bad? And shoes, those wear out. And little emergencies and stuff that happen to all of us. And so we give them this money, you put it in there, we divide it up by the four missionaries and send them home with it. We call it mad money because when they're done spending it, they'll be mad. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, we want to try to help them out, amen? All right, it's good to have the deans here with us, Artie and Lily Dean. Uh, he's a faithful pastor in Bangor, Maine, and uh, they are the folks of Hannah Williams and Joanna Hahn. And Brother Dean, would you come on up here right now and uh, close us in a word of prayer? Amen. All right, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much, uh, Lord, for being here today. Uh, Lord, your name's been glorified here. Your name's been hallowed. Lord, it's been good to be in church. Thank you for the Sunday school, Lord, from John 17 and the message from Romans chapter 1. Uh, God, what a blessed reminder. I'm a product myself of a track. And Lord, just thank you for the reminder to keep them uh, passed out. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to uh, just be faithful in preaching the gospel. Lord, I pray that uh, all that's been preached and said to us this morning would just uh, remain lodged deep within our heart. I know the phones are going to go off. The cares of life are going to crash in upon us this afternoon once again. And Lord, we pray that uh, the, our enemy, the wicked one, would not be able to snatch all this that has been faithfully laid in there today. And Lord, I pray that we'd all make the decision, be back in church tonight. 
and uh, continue to bless this dear church and their missions conference, their pledges tonight. For Jesus' sake, we ask it for Jesus' honor and glory. Amen.